Joyce and me, while we were away this last week for a few days, we had a nice time together, got to do some fun things, and uh, I appreciated her planning that little trip, so uh, we had a good time, and we appreciate your prayers, and um, we'll go ahead and look into Romans chapter 7 today. We've been studying in the book of Romans, and Paul's been working us through (coughs) these different thoughts, and, and especially been working on the thoughts right now of, of the fact that we, uh, we can't put our faith and trust in certain things that people put their faith and trust in. He talked about, you know, putting your faith and trust in your works, putting your faith and trust in the law, putting your faith and trust in the fact that you were a Jew, putting your faith and trust in all these things. And he's been working his way through that. And then we've, we've got into chapter 7. And in, and in chapter 7, uh, last week, we were, we were in the first few verses up to verse, uh, up to verse 12. And, um, and that's where we left off. So we want to pick up today in verse 13. And the, and the first point today we want to look at is the carnality of man. The carnality of man. Notice what it says in verse 13. It says, Was then that which is good made death unto me, God forbid. But sin, that it might appear sin, working death in me by that which is good, that sin by the commandment might become exceeding Sinful. Now, there's a lot there, uh, but we see the familiar words that Paul has used. He's asked these rhetorical questions several times in the book of Romans, and each time he responds with two words, and the words are, God forbid. He lays out some, some scenario, and then he says, no, that's not how it works. God forbid we think that way. How about this? Should, you know, should I sin more that grace may abound? No, God forbid. That's not what we're supposed to do. And so now he, he, he lays out this question, you know, was then that which is good made death unto me, referring, referring to, to the law. And the answer is, again, uh, God forbid. Um, in, in the answer to Paul's question, uh, we see but th- that sin that it might appear sin. Now, what are we talking about there? Well, Clark, in his commentary, states it this way. He says that the law serves to, quote, alarm and awaken sinners. In other words, what, what purpose does the law have for us today? We're not saved by the law. We've, Paul's already clearly established that. We're not saved by the law. We're not bound by the law today, though Christ said he came to fulfill the law. So what purpose is there in the law? Well, Paul tells us, and that purpose is to alarm and awaken sinners about their sin. How are we awakened and warned about our sin by the law? Because when we have the law and the expectation of the law and we break that, we have a a guide. And the guide says, you just broke something you're not supposed to break. And so, so the law serves in this capacity for us today, the modern church of today, the law serves as an alarm or an awakening. Now, I don't know about you folks, but as I've gotten older, there's something I hate more and more, and that's the alarm. <laughs> you know, uh, after yesterday, after getting up at 2 in the morning to meet the men of the church here at 3 in the morning, when my alarm went off at 5.40 this morning, that's when I usually get up on Sunday, so I, can try, I try to be here by 6.30 in the morning on Sunday morning. When that alarm went off at 5.40, I didn't like it. I wasn't happy about it. But it was the alarm to let me know, to warn me that it's 5.40. You better get those bones out of bed and get over to the church. 
This is the same idea we have here. The, the, the law serves as the alarm, but often, folks, we don't like what's good for us, do we? Now, you know me. I, 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 I do not, you know I do not like vegetables <laughs> and fruit. I just don't. And, uh, but you know what? We don't like what's good for us. What's good for me would probably be to eat, to be, to eat a whole lot more vegetables and a whole lot more fruit than I eat, but I don't like what's good for me. Well, they, this serves that way. We don't necessarily love the law because the law serves like a mirror showing us the sin in our life. And so that's what we have to understand. And, and we have to understand it because sin is what? It's deceptive. Sin is deceptive in our life. Speaking of the deception of sin, Spurgeon says this. He says, this is the one of the most deplorable results of sin. It injures us most by taking from us the capacity to know how much we're injured. Now think about that. He says it takes from us the capacity to know how much we're injured. In other words, sin is deceiving. Satan says, try this. It won't be that big a deal. But when we try it, it is a big deal. And and what happens is the deception of sin in our life allows us, because we are carnal, and that's where Paul's heading with all this, he's talking about the carnality of man, the fact that I, I still do things that I really shouldn't be doing, and, and part of what causes that is the deception of sin, because we just don't know how much it's harming us. We just have no idea how much we're being harmed. And so we have to understand that. So Paul goes then into verse 14, and in verse 14 he says this, he says, for we know that the law is spiritual, but Paul says, but I am carnal, sold under sin. Paul says, I am carnal. The word carnal means to be characterized by the flesh. Paul, what, Paul, what does Paul say? He's saying, I'm, I'm fleshly. I have this side of me that still has desires and propensities to live for what pleases me and not what pleases the Lord. And all of us are that way, whether we want to admit it or not. See, Paul, I think, in my idea, I, I look to Paul as, as, as a great spiritual leader. I think Paul was honest enough and far enough along in his spirituality that he recognized just how frail he was. That he recognized just how carnal he was. Matter of fact, how does Paul refer to himself? He refers to himself in another passage of scripture as the chief of sinners. That's what the Apostle Paul, somebody we all look up to, wrote, wrote half of our New Testament. And what does he say? He says, I'm the chief of sinners. That's who Paul, Paul understood the concept. Paul understood the fact that there's still this side to man, even after salvation, that is carnal. And, and though the law is spiritual, the law could not help him with his carnality because he was still carnal. And he says he was sold under sin. In other words, Paul stood in bondage to sin. Remember, what has Paul been talking about earlier in the, in the book of Romans here? That we are free from the bondage of sin. We're free from the dominion of sin. Once we trust the Lord Jesus Christ, our personal Savior, we are free from that dominion. But Paul says, I still find myself under that dominion. Still sold under sin. An awareness 
of his carnality shows that God had done a work in him. Listen, folks, when we can be, when we can be honest enough with ourselves to recognize our failings spiritually, that's when God's working in us. When we can, because when, when we don't see our own spiritual failings, we can't be convinced that we have them. But it's when we see them, when we understand them, when we understand how frail we are, that's when God can do a work in us. Because we recognize that we have a problem. I remember talking with Jim Van Gelder and a mentor of mine and when I first felt the Lord calling me, calling me to preach and to pastor. And I can remember telling him, you know, I, I said to him, I said, you know, one of the things that concerns me is that when I stand in the pulpit, I know who I am. I know my failings. I know the things I struggle with. And I said, that concerns me. Because how can I get up and preach to people when I know I have struggles? And he looked at me and he said something that, that has really stuck with me over the years. He said, the danger would be if you didn't feel that. He said, to stand in the pulpit and know that you are weak and that apart from God you are nothing. He said, that's okay. But he said, if you don't feel that, that's the problem. Why? Because we got to learn to be honest enough with ourselves about where we stand. And Paul says, Paul himself says, listen, I'm carnal. I am a sinner. That's what Paul says. The carnality of man. And then I want us to notice he spends the next several verses, point number two today, talking about the helplessness of man. The helplessness of man. Notice what he says in verse uh, 15. And, and, and I'm telling you folks, verse 15 to verse 23 today, I think rings ring so true with so many of us. This struggle that Paul talks about here. The helpless estate of man. Notice what he says. He says, for that which I do, I allow not. For what I would, that do I not. But what I hate, that I do. Oh boy, folks, I raise my hand and say, yeah, that's me. <laughs> and I'm sure some of you would as well if you're honest, right? I mean, that we know what we're supposed to do. And we want to do it. And then we don't do it. And then we know what we're not supposed to do. And instead of not doing it, we do it. And it's like, and Paul's saying, you know, that this is the struggle. And I'm thinking, if the Apostle Paul's struggling with this, it's only going to make sense that I'm going to struggle with this as well. We struggle. We struggle with what to do. Well, based on what Paul just says in this verse, what is the problem not? Okay, that's a weird way to word it. But <laughs> what is the problem? The, the problem is not a lack of desire. Paul's got desire. He says, for that which I do. I, he says, I'm trying to do it. I've got the desire to do it. I want to live for the Lord. The problem is not desire. He has desire to live for the Lord. So that's not the problem. The problem's not a lack of knowledge. He knows what he should be doing. And so do we, folks, because all we got to do is look in this book. And we know what we should be doing and what we should not be doing. So the problem is not desire. The problem is not a lack of knowledge. It wasn't for Paul and it's not for us. What we have going on is a clashing of two distinct natures inside of us. And those natures are at war with each other. 
They, and he's going to talk about that very concept a little later in this chapter. But we have two natures that are fighting for our attention. They are battling with each other for who is going to come out on top. And, and for sake of, of, a, of, of a, a more simple way to put it, it, it's the good versus the evil. It's, it's, the, it's the two natures that are in us. And the two natures, in this case, it's the old man and the new man. The old man can do nothing right. We see that in verse 18. He says, For I know that in me that is in my flesh dwelleth how many good things? No good things. Paul says the old man does not have the capacity to do right. That's the old man. That's one of the natures battling inside of me. Then I have the new man battling inside of me. The new man, when I'm living like the new man, can do nothing wrong. But the problem is, I don't live that way all the time. So I have this conflict, this battle going on. And, and, and we see that described to us. If we, if we turn over to Galatians just for a second, we, we get a very clear indi- indication of, of, this, of this battle that's taking place in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 17. It says, For the flesh lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary the one to the other, so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. Paul says, listen, the flesh lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. There's a battle that is going on inside of man, and it's contrary. They're opposite to each other, and the battle is going on there. Phillips, in his commentary, says this. He says, these two natures are in constant conflict for the simple reason that they are incompatible and they're irreconcilable. Now think about that fact. They're incompatible, and they're irreconcilable. What is he saying? He's he's saying these two natures are never going to agree. They are always, always, always going to be contrary to each other. They're not going to agree. And so... What our issue is, is an issue with the battle between these two natures. What our struggle is, is a struggle with these two natures. Because Paul here is struggling, he's saying, listen, for that which I do, I allow not. For what I would, that do I not. But what I hate, that I do. Verse 16, if then I do that which I would not, I consent unto the law that it is good. Verse 17, now that it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelled in me. Paul, Paul's got this, con- that, that battle is going on in his life. The, 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 the constant battle, battling back and forth. And he, and he says in verse 17, is no more I that do it, but the sin that dwelleth in me. The word dwelleth there literally means in the original language to take up habitation. What is Paul saying? He says, I lose in the battle when I allow sin to set up in my life. To set up a homestead in my life. When I allow it to take habitation. When I allow it to to find a parking spot in my life. He says that's when I'm losing the battle because I'm allowing sin to indwell me. And he says this is the problem. And notice what he says in verse 18. He says, For I know 
that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. How do we know that? Well, Jeremiah 17.9 tells us, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? So Paul says, I know that in me dwells nothing good. In my flesh there is nothing good. Nothing good is going to come out of living life the way my flesh wants to live it. That's what Paul's saying. And then notice what he says. He says, For I know that in me that is in my flesh dwells no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. What does Paul say? He says, listen, I want to live right. That's what he's saying. But he's saying, I'm struggling doing it. Folks, I don't know about you, but I mean, I've been brought to tears in my life because so many times I want to live right. I want to do it the way God wants me to do it. And I just can't find the strength to do it. Why? Because we often are looking to ourselves for the strength. And the strength's not going to come from us. And Paul's recognizing this in this passage as we get to the end of, of chapter 7. He's, he's going to come to this conclusion that the, the problem is I'm trying to do it. Me, me, me. I'm trying to fix it. Why? Because we're fixers, right? We feel like we can conquer anything. We've been told we've got to pull ourselves up by the bootstraps. We've got to, you know, we just got to go out there and conquer the world. We've got to climb the ladder of success. It's all about me, 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 doing it my way. We have songs, right? I did it my way from the, what, the 70s or something, right? I mean, we, right, that's what we're taught. We're taught we've got to solve all the problems. We've got to figure it out. But the problem is, folks, we have an old man. And he's a nature that's in us that's battling the new man. And he's fighting to the end. And Paul's understanding that he inside himself dwells no good thing. And he wants to do what's right. I mean, he clearly states that. For to will is present with me. I want to do it. But I can't figure out how. That's what Paul says. I want to do it, but I can't figure out how to do it. The complexity of these two natures often causes us to do what we don't will and to not do what God wills. And, and I think it's amazing uh, the, the, the transparency of Paul in verses 15 and 19 and then verse 21, which we're not even down to yet, which says, I find then a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. We'll talk about that in a minute. But the transparency of Paul demonstrates a perpetual and agonizing struggle that takes place in man. It's ongoing. It's agonizing. I want to live right, but I can't figure out how to do it. I can't make it work. I'm agonizing over it. It's a perpetual, ongoing struggle. Turn over to Philippians just for a second. Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3 and verse 12. Notice Paul speaking again here. Not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, 
but I follow after if that I may apprehend that which for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Let us therefore, as many as be perfect, be thus minded, and if any and if any thing ye be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this unto you. Nevertheless, whereto uh, we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule, let us mind the same thing. What is he saying? He's saying, I haven't attained what I want to attain. But he says, what I have to do is I have to forget the failings that are behind. I have to put the past in the past. And folks, that's what we have to do. Listen, we all have failed. And if we're honest with ourselves, we've failed time and time and time again when it comes to the things of the Lord. But we have to put it in our past. See, what, what Satan likes to do is he likes to shovel the past back up. He likes to throw the past in our face. Oh, you promised God that once before. You didn't keep it then. You won't keep it now. Ever heard that inside your mind? <laughs> sure we have. Because Satan loves to dish it up. He loves to just remind us of the failings of our past and the mistakes we've made in our past. And he loves to make us think we can never accomplish anything for the Lord. But folks, this book is full of the stories of men and women who had lousy pasts that accomplished great things for God. David, a man after whose own heart? God's own heart. Did David have a checkered past? Oh, you bet he did. <laughs> yes, he sure did. Several of the characters in the Bible that we look to today, they had very checkered pasts. But they had to learn to put it behind them and press toward the mark. Press toward what God was calling them to do. And that's what Paul is saying here in Philippians. He said, yeah, I, I have the past, but I've got to put it behind me. And press toward the mark. But it's tough. Because we have that old man. Remember the night that Jesus went out to pray and asked his disciples to watch a while? And when he came back, what were the disciples doing? Remember, they were sleeping, right? They didn't stay awake. They didn't watch. They didn't pray with the Savior. They didn't do anything Christ wanted them to do that night. And you remember what Jesus said to them in Matthew 26? He said, the spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. That's what Jesus Christ said to the disciples that night. He said, I just asked you to watch and wait. And you couldn't do it. And the reason is because the spirit is willing. <laughs> That's what we, get. we get there. We understand that. We're willing, but the flesh to do it, we are, we are weak. We are weak. So that takes us to verse 21. Paul says, I find then a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. Something that is compelling him and demanding compliance with its lusts. When I would do good, evil is present with me. Evil's demanding to have its time. Evil wants to be present in my life. That's what Paul's saying. C.S. Lewis said this, 
He said, no man knows how bad he is until he has tried to be good. Folks, that's a powerful, simple statement. No man knows how bad he is until he has tried to be good. Because, folks, we don't understand the battle till we've tried it, till we've jumped into the fray, till we've tried to control the old man. And at the point at which we try to control the old man, we realize how weak we are in the flesh. Verse 22. Paul says, For I delight in the law of God after the inward man. Listen. When we accept Jesus Christ as our Savior, the Scriptures tell us we're, we're a new creature, a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. So who really is Paul at this point? Paul is a new creation. He's a new man. But the old man keeps rearing its ugly head. But that's not who Paul is. It's not who we are if we've trusted Christ as our Savior. We're a new creation. But we've got to recognize that, that, that we are fighting an ongoing battle and we are finding, as Paul did, that we are helpless in our own strength. We're helpless in our own strength. That's what 2 Corinthians 12.9 tells us. My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made what? Perfect in your weakness. I put the word you're in there, but that's what it's saying, in weakness. Your weakness. When I am weak, God's strength can help in my life. But if I'm the self-made man and think I have it all together, that's not where God's strength shows itself strong. So I have to recognize my weakness. Paul had to recognize his weakness. And that brings us to verse 23 where he talks specifically about the battle. Notice what he says. He says, but I, not, I see another law in my... Remember, he just said, I delight in the law. I delight in the law of God. I love the law of God. I love it. That's what Paul's saying. I delight in it. Verse 23, but I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. This is where Paul lays it out clearly, the battle. He says, there is the fact that I love God's law. But then inside of me, there's something that's at war. And it's warring against me. And it's bringing me into captivity. We all understand that, right? In wars, people being caught and captive. They're captives by the, by the other side. And Paul says, uh, there's a war going on inside of me, and the evil side is trying to take the good side captive. Trying to make me a captive. That's what he says. The good side seeks to have what? Dominion in my life. To have, be the ruler of my life. Now, that doesn't have to be, folks, because back in chapter 6 and verse 18, Paul says, being then made free from sin. So we don't have to allow the, the evil side to take us captive again. But we often do. Because we struggle with the same things Paul's struggling with here. 
So what is the conclusion that Paul comes to? That's Roman numeral 3 today. The victory through Christ. See, all through this chapter, Paul's been talking about, I've tried to do this, I've tried to do that, I know this, but I do this, I know this, but I do this. It's a, I, 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 I'm trying, I'm trying to do it all, and Paul's come to the conclusion it's not working because there's this war going on inside of me. So what is my conclusion then about this? What, what can I figure out about this battle that's taking place inside of me? Well, we get the answer in the two verses at the end of the chapter. Verse 24, O wretched man that I am. Paul, the word wretched means to be beaten down, to be in deep misery. That's what it means. Paul said, I am beaten down by the flesh. I'm beaten down by the old man. That's what Paul says. And then he asks a question. Who shall deliver me from the body of this death? Now, folks, I'll be honest. I, I've never really understood the second part of that verse till this week when I read several commentators and what they wrote about it. But the idea of the body of this death, back in ancient times, rulers that wanted to inflict some of the most miserable punishment on somebody that had done a crime or that they didn't like or whatever, what they would do is that they would literally strap the body of a dead corpse to the back of the healthy individual. And as that corpse decayed and death and infection and all that stuff, would eventually move itself from that dead body into the body of the other person, bringing on a slow and miserable death. And that's how they killed people in a really brutal way back in ancient times. The rulers would do that. And Paul says, what's going to deliver me from that dead man that's hanging on my back? Remember, what did, what, did, what did Paul tell us early in the book of Romans we're supposed to do to sin? We're supposed to kill it, right? Mortify it. Put it to death. And now Paul says, I've got that dead man. He's hanging on my back. How am I going to be delivered from him? How am I going to get him off my back? And I'd never, I never knew that till this week. And, and then I read about five commentators who, who talked about the same concept. And Paul, Paul wants that dead man off his back, but he can't deliver himself from it. He can't get the dead man off his back. And so he's pleading, how, who's going to deliver me? And then we get to verse 25. <laughs> and we have this whole brutality of this chapter wrapped up in one verse. I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. What? You come, you come through this whole passage, this whole struggle where Paul's like, I want to do this, but I don't. I don't want to do this, but I do. I can't understand. I can't fight it. It's not, I'm not winning. I'm losing the battle. I got death hanging on my back. How do I get him off? And then he comes to verse, 20, says, verse 25 and he says, I thank God through Jesus Christ. See, folks, the solution does not lie with us. It lies in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the answer. Jesus Christ is the answer. The solution lies in Him. I don't have the strength in and of myself 
to fend off Satan and sin and the flesh. But Jesus Christ does. Because, folks, he conquered death. He conquered the grave. He defeated Satan once and for all. And so Paul says, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then when... So then with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. Paul says, I have this battle. But he says, the solution to the victory comes in Jesus Christ. And folks, it's the same place we need to be looking today. Same battles that Paul had, we have. They may be different areas than Paul struggled, but we all have areas of struggle in our life. And we all find ourselves in this frustration, this agony over the fact that I want to do the right things, but I can't seem to do them. And folks, the answer, as it always is, is Jesus Christ. It's Jesus Christ. Simple as that. And Paul recognizes that. Let's have every head bowed and every eye closed as we come to the end of the service today. I don't know how the Lord spoke to you today, but... You know, maybe you're here today and you've never accepted the free gift of salvation, the fact that Jesus Christ went to the cross for your sins and mine, that he shed his blood on the cross, was buried in the grave, rose again the third day, securing our salvation for those that would trust in him and believe in him and accept that free gift. If you're here today and you've never done that, I want to encourage you when we sing in just a moment, or when Judy plays in just a moment, I would encourage you to come down front. I'll have somebody take a Bible and show you how you can know for sure that you're saved today. But folks, if you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you're a new creation. And there's a battle going on, raging inside of you. And it's a battle for good and evil, basically. And, and, and a lot of times evil wins because, folks, quite honestly, we feed that side. We feed the flesh. We give the flesh exactly what it wants. And so evil wins. But within us, we can't win the battle, folks. We have to rely on Jesus Christ. Let's stand with our heads bowed and eyes closed this morning. I don't know how the Lord spoke to you, but maybe you need to spend some time in prayer at the altar. I'm going to have Judy just play through a verse of a song today, and we wait just a moment.